The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right, away back, UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the longest-running Internet radio program in America, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, a comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell. This is our weekly get-together to talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Glad to have you along this evening as we sit back and talk about these two ball clubs. And in order to do it, we've got to go down south and bring in our resident Reds expert, Mr. Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? David, I'm I'm very depressed. Oh, gosh, why? And I knew you were going to ask me why. And because you're my friend, I'm going to share it with you. Um, I think I need counseling and intervention. Well, we already knew that. Now, see, see, Dave, I try to open up to you as a friend, <laughs> and you turn on me like a snake. Here's what's happening. I'm not turning. I'm just being honest. Here's what's happened. I'm beginning to get reasonably excited about this team. And I know. I know what you're going to say. Mark, don't do that because this team on paper should lose 100 games. But, you know, when, when you are anticipating that kind of performance, playing 500 sounds like a, a raging success. So that's where my, my optimism is, is based, is I think this team could do better. I actually don't think that they are going to lose 100 games this year. When you look at this team and you look at the hitting that they could potentially have, I think this team is, is capable of winning. Uh, anywhere from 78 to 82 games. Well, I, I think they're fine offensively, and I think what could have happened, ironically, is the trade the, the, the Reds did not make for Brandon Phillips and Jay Bruce might put them in good stead offensively this year because what I think is going to happen is you're going to have Peraza uh, move to center field and, and bat leadoff. And if he does... That is going to change the entire offensive dynamic of this team because then you got Suarez hitting second, you've got Votto hitting third, you've got Mesoraco hitting fourth, you've got uh, Jay Bruce hitting fifth, and, and, and you know then you've got and, and, and then Schlieber, Scott Schlieber, uh, they've got some depth offensively by having those kinds of, of a mixture of veterans and rookies in that lineup. So. I don't think offense is going to be a key. And frankly, Billy Hamilton could be a very valuable component coming off the bench. Pinch running and late inning defensive help where he could make a real contribution to the team. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm probably going to regret this, but I, I am getting a bit optimistic. However, as I mentioned to you before the show, the Reds did get some bad news today. Is Lorenzen, their right-hand pitcher, who was – uh, vying for a, a starting uh, position uh, in, in, the, in the starting rotation, apparently he's had a second bout of elbow discomfort. And you know what that always leads to. Yeah, my elbow hurts. Let's do an MRI. Oh, boy, he needs Tommy John. And we hope that's not the case. I hope I'm jumping to conclusions, but the, the Internet is is running amok with uh, speculation that uh, this is the start of a bad story for uh, for Lorenzen. Well, the thing about it, though, is, Mark, and, and let's continue along this line, uh, with Lorenzen being out, yes, he's a key component to the Red starting staff, but they've also got another five or six guys that are in the midst for five spots in the rotation. So Lorenzen may be going down now, is more of a blessing than it would be around midseason. That's true, and I think you've got Stevenson and Reed who are ready to step into that rotation uh, along with uh, Di Scaflani and um, Iglesias, who's pitching t- today. Uh, so the Reds do have you know, some logical and, and some strong backup for Lorenzen, 
But uh, the problem with this team, as I see it, Dave, is the bullpen. Uh, that bullpen just scares the heck out of me. And I, I don't see that there's a lot of uh, sure outs down there that we're going to get out of that bullpen. And if Hoover reverts back to what he was two years ago, this team could, in fact, lose 100 games. Well, I think they'll find somebody else to come in and light, put put gasoline on the fire. But another guy that has been pitching real well, though, Mark, is Reed. Yes, he has. He pitched three innings the other day, gave up two hits, and uh, was overpowering from the reports I read. And, uh, you know, that, that's that's going to be a trade that Kansas City may regret for a long time because they, you know, they, they don't have Cueto anymore. He was traded to the Giants. So they gave up three really good left-hand pitchers uh, for a guy who is no longer in their their organization, and uh, that may be a trade they regret for a while. Meanwhile, Mark, the Indians' starting staff, which is supposed to be the strength of their ball club this year, they've really been showing over the last week that that is going to be a key component of this ball club. Carlos Carrasco, boy, has he been pitching well throughout spring training. Right now he has got... A 0.00 ERA. That is almost as good as Blutowski's grade point average in Animal House. <laughs> and then you you continue on. You've got Corey Kluber, another 0.00 ERA. Both Carrasco and Kluber are 1-0 and on the year in two starts. And then you've got, you, you continue on and you look at Danny Salazar. He's 1-1 and and his ERA is 3.00. Trevor Bauer is one and zero, oh. and then when you look at that number five spot in the pitching order with uh, Cody Anderson, Anderson is zero and one. He's got a four point five zero ERA. That's the worst ERA that the Indians have. Josh Tomlin, he's zero and zero. Tom House, zero and one. These guys battling for the fifth spot in the pitching rotation. So the Indians' rotation right now is looking pretty good as they head into the third week of spring training. Dave, you mentioned Corey Kluber, and uh, I forget his record last year, but I think he had a losing record. Was he 12 and 14 or something like that? I'll look it up here, but yeah, I think you're pretty close to being correct. But if you if if when when loss record was ever overrated, uh, it's looking at his secondary statistics because he was he had great numbers beyond the win loss record. The team just didn't score for him. And some, sometimes the win-loss record is just hugely overvalued as a metric for how effective a pitcher is. And, and Corey Kluber last year certainly was a victim of uh, people saying he had a bad year when, in fact, he did not. Mark, he was 9-16 and 16 overall, one-loss record, but his ERA was 3.49. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a pretty good ERA in the American League when you have a designated hitter. And it may have been up a little bit, but uh, the guy pitched a lot better than that. And I, I think I don't think there's a, a team in baseball that wouldn't like to have him as the, their number one or number two starter. Well, and, and quite honestly, he's going to be, even though they have not announced it yet, he'll be the opening day starter for the Cleveland Indians this year after they, they leave spring training and open up on April 4th at home against Boston. You know, Mark, today it was 67 degrees around here. I'm not sure what it was down in Cincinnati, but again, like we said last week, the weather has been beautiful around here all almost all winter long. I know you guys had a snowstorm. We really had just one up here in the northern part of the state. But when it comes to April, you never know what the weather's going to be, and we're probably going to have snow outs. It probably. Uh, it, it was in the 70s here today, and uh, it's been that way for almost two weeks, and it's supposed to be in, into the 50s and 60s for the next uh, two or three weeks. So hopefully we'll have a uh, a nice opening week for baseball. But you and I both have seen those, those snow outs up in Cleveland and Detroit uh, and Milwaukee when they were playing outside where, uh, you know, April 9th you have nine inches of snow. In Chicago, the same thing. So you and I have talked about the idiocy of some of the scheduling when you have the Angels coming in for the opening series from Los Angeles to play Cleveland in, you know, in the snow. Does anybody think through this? It's amazing sometimes. I'm not sure. You know, I, I think we could probably, if they wanted to go ahead and just give us the money 
uh, to go ahead and schedule these things. We could probably get it done in about a week, and it would make more sense. I agree. Uh, okay, I want to talk about something. I, we never get political on this show, hardly ever. All right, let me just let me backtrack. We hardly ever get political, but up here in Cleveland, we've got a couple of sports stations that, for some reason, the incident that happened with the Indians this past week, everybody decided to get political about it. Juan Uribe, 13-year veteran. This will be his 13th year in the major leagues, Mark. You know I wasn't too crazy about the Indians signing him, but this has absolutely nothing to do with that. He was summoned back to the Dominican Republic on Friday because of visa problems. Now, according to the radio stations in Cleveland, whom never cover the Indians whatsoever, and when they do, they almost always show their stupidity, decided to blame this entire situation on President Obama, (laughs) that he had to be taken back to the Dominican Republic. Now, the one statement that I really took offense to, and you really don't have to be political to either take offense to this either way, but they said that there are 67,000 illegal immigrants coming in across our borders daily, and the government picks out Juan Uribe, who's been here for 12 years, to make a point of having a glitch in his visa. Now, the first thing that popped into my mind, Mark, and let's see if it hits your mind too, if we know that there are 67,000 illegal immigrants coming into this country daily and we can count them, don't you think we could stop them? Well, of course. course. (laughs) Well, then, how do we know that there's 67,000, and why would you even bring that up in an argument? Well, first of all, we're assuming it's 67,000. What I heard was over the Mexican border. Now, what they really have among that 67,000 are people who are overstaying their visas, and we can't find them. So they throw that into the same pot, and it's not true. Last year, I think it was in 2015, there were more people going to Mexico than coming from Mexico because there's more jobs down there. So and, and they can live down there and make the same kind of wage. So, again, you're right. We're not a political uh, forum here. Uh, I don't want to get too deeply into that. But in terms of uh, what this means to baseball, every year you have a situation where a player is delayed or there's a glitch, uh, even though he's been here for 10 years. Uh, he comes late to spring training because he can't get a visa or a work permit or whatever it might be. You would think that the teams themselves would take some kind of responsibility for that to make sure maybe in December or January that the, uh, the wording of a player's agreement or his visa is in, in the condition it ought to be rather than waiting till it gets to spring training and finding out there's a problem. And, and that may very well be the case. But the thing about it is, Mark, when I look at these Major League Baseball players, they are prime targets for the government to go after. They are going to watch those visas like a hawk because they are so high profile. That's true. And But you don't know, you know, I hate to use one situation, one anecdote as a, as a decision, to, you know, to render a decision on, you know, the, the strategies or the rationale behind what they did because we just don't know. And there may be something valid in that, and, and you know we'll hear about it sooner or later. But sometimes these one-off situations, these one-off anecdotal stories, uh, there's more behind the story than we can hear at first. You know, another guy that I would thought would have thought with the Reds that would have visa problems, especially with the fact that we're just now starting to recognize the country of Cuba, would be uh, Rossiel Iglesias for the Reds. Yeah, uh, so far so good with him. Um, you know, he was my tenant last year in my little condo down in Cincinnati. A very nice young man. I was glad to have him as a tenant. Uh, actually sold that condo so he couldn't move back in. But yeah, the, the Cuban players I think are particularly sensitive to uh, their the changing political climate between the U.S. and Cuba. So I would I would bet uh, there was a lot of um, Research done on exactly what needs to, you know, the paperwork that needs to be done to get those guys uh, right. Nevertheless, it's always a problem every spring you hear about this popping up every once in a while with players having problems with their visas. That's true. 
Now, another thing that I saw, and it's already begun, Mark, we've seen it over the last couple of years about Joey Votto, and this weekend I saw an article on Bleacher Report where already some of the Reds fans and writers that are following the Reds, especially for Bleacher Report, are talking about the fact that Joey Votto needs to expand his strike zone and actually drive in more runs for the Reds this year than he has done over the the past couple of years. So already, Mark, we're not even into the third week of spring training, and it's already begun. David, there's no accounting for stupidity. So try to to make arguments with those people or debate the issue with them. All you have to do is look at Joey Votto's statistics. The guy is an incredible incredibly productive player, uh, if people got on in front of him, uh, he would drive in more runs. Last year, Billy Hamilton had a, what, 255 on-base percentage, your leadoff hitter. So, you know, Joey Votto did his share. His on-base percentage was close to 500. Uh, he, he drove in plenty of runs. He had 29 home runs. I think he had 314. He's one of the great hitters in baseball and maybe, arguably, the greatest hitter in Cincinnati Reds history. And you can look at the statistics to bear that out. He has a higher batting average than Pete Rose ever had, lifetime so far. He's set far more home runs. He's driven in more runs. And by the time he's done playing, if he stays with the Reds, it is likely he is going to set records in every major offensive statistic uh, or category that the Reds have. So anybody who says he's not productive is just not very bright. Well, and let's go further. The, the man, another article that was written for ESPN, it was ESPN senior writer David Schoenfield. Now, Schoenfield talked about the Society for American Baseball Research's fifth annual spring training get-together, talked about Joey Votto and what he should do. Now, Aaron Boone of ESPN is defending Joey Votto by saying that we act like him changing and swinging at a pitch will automatically score the run. Boone said it's a great offensive player, and I find it silly that Votto has to think about apologizing for getting on base at such a ridiculous clip. But then Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports suggested that there are times that Votto should expand his strike zone. Uh, Former outfielder Eric Burns, in the same article, said one of the more analytics-friendly players analysts out there agreed with Rosenthal, saying there are times that it's Votto's job to drive in runs, and he has to have the ability to do this. What, what are people actually wanting from this guy? They're wanting him with a, with a runner on second or runner at third and less than two out. They want him to swing at a bad pitch. That's it. They want him to swing on a 3-1 pitch on a ball on the outside corner that is arguably, you know, two inches outside. They want him to swing at that pitch and try and drive in that run because whoever is hitting behind Vado, in this case maybe Devin Mezzarocco, is not as capable of driving in a run as Joey Vado. I think that's idiotic. And in, in terms of, of Joey, his discipline at the plate he is not going to swing at a marginal pitch because if you've ever played baseball, it's it's hard enough to hit a strike. And when you're trying to get a base hit on a pitch that's not in the strike zone, you change the the the, the bat speed. You change your you, you don't make it as level. You're, you're doing something that's unnatural for you if you're reaching outside over the plate and trying to drive that ball to left field. The same with the pitch on the inner half. Joey Votto has the ability to discern a pitch that's an inch and a half to two inches on the inside corner, too, and he doesn't swing at that pitch. If he does, he jams himself. If, if you're the best hitter in baseball, you're going you're gonna to get upset about 33% of the time. If you start swinging at balls outside the strike zone, that number goes down precipitously, and Joey Votto knows that. So Joey Votto swinging at a bad pitch he may take his 314 batting average down to maybe 250 or 230. It just makes, there's no, 
there's no logical rationale to defend that kind of, of logic uh, to, to make Joey Votto get out of his... Uh, look, look at the numbers. That's all I can tell you. Look at the numbers. He's he's in a league by himself. Well, here's one thing that they do bring up. The Votto does walk more often with runners in scoring position than with the bases empty. And here's where they cite, with the bases empty... Votto walks 18.8% of the time. With runners in scoring position, Votto walks 26.5% of the time. And that's what they're using as a statistic yeah. to show that Votto simply doesn't expand the strike zone in any situation. But you just, you just answered your own query. Why is that? Oh, I'm not, I'm not agreeing with this. I'm just throwing up what this article is talking about. Well, it's, it's very obvious the reason that he's walking more with runners in scoring position, is the pitchers don't pitch to him. So exactly, you know they're they're throwing balls. Joey, don't swing. We don't want you to swing. So they're taking the bat out of his hand, and the argument is he should go out and get those pitches. And I disagree with that. I think if you have him on base, if you got a runner in third with no out, and he walks, now you get two runners on with with no out. So you ought to be able to score that run anyway. So it, it makes no sense to me, and I guess as a as a hitter, I know how difficult it is to hit a strike, much less to try and swing at a pitch either down or up or wherever. And, and the pitchers, they will not face him. They they don't want him to beat them. And until the Reds have somebody hitting in that number four spot, uh, they'll continue to do that. And that's where the Reds have fallen down. If you'd have had Cruz... Our, our favorite go-to guy for both our lineups. Can you imagine what Joey Votto would have done if you had a guy like Cruz hitting behind him? If you would have had Nelson Cruz in that lineup two years ago, or three years ago, when we both wanted him, I'll tell you right now, Dusty Baker would still be the manager of the Reds. The Reds would probably have one division title, if not two. They'd still have Mike Leake and and uh, Johnny Cueto in the starting rotation, and we wouldn't be talking about a rebuilding situation this year. That's exactly right, and that's where the, the organization screwed up. And, you know, to put all this stuff on Vado, I think, is insane. And <clears throat> it, it makes no statistical sense. It makes, it makes no logic and, you know, a writer can throw out these, these, I guess, accusation is the term, or suggestions. Hey, Joey, go up and, and swing at ball four. And then what happens? He, he pops up. Uh, he'll make more outs than he gets hits. And you've taken yourself out of a big inning. It, there, there's, there's no argument that defends that kind of idiocy. Well, and Reds GM Dick Williams, who happened to be on a panel also that they bring up in this, this article, an audience member asked Williams if Votto should expand his strike zone. And Williams came out and said, whoever asked that question, I'll arrange a one-on-one -on -one with Joey Votto. And Williams said, Votto hits 360 on pitches in the strike zone and 200 on pitches outside the strike zone. Bingo! Isn't that what I said five minutes ago? That's exactly what happens, and Joey Votto knows that. So I'd rather have a guy, rather than hit 200, I'd rather have him on base. I don't want a 200 hitter. And Joey Votto knows that. And so, again, there's there's no statistical argument that gives that, that theory any credence at all. And Votto, thank God, is smart enough to know that and hasn't been tempted to. I mean, there may be times if a guy throws a lollipop two inches outside, either throws you an 80-mile-an-hour fastball, yeah, Joey Votto could probably hit it off the left field wall. But that that's the exception. These guys don't want him to swing at that pitch. So hooray for Joey Votto and hooray for Dick, or, uh, the, the, Dick, Williams. Dick, Dick Williams. I mean, I think that's, uh, that's the way to handle that. Now, I'm going to be devil's advocate for one time with this article. Let's say the Reds get to Game 7 of the World Series. They've pulled double switches in Game 7, and they've got the pitcher hitting in the fourth spot and Votto hitting in the third spot. They've got the winning run at third base in, at second and third. They're down by a run, two down, bottom of the ninth inning, pitcher on deck. They've got no no uh, 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 
pinch hitters left, so I guess the bases have got to be loaded because if that would happen, then the opposing team would probably walk him. So let's say the bases are loaded, Reds are down by one. Do you expect Votto in that situation to expand the strike zone? I don't care because if, <laughs> if, if the Reds get that far, whatever Joey Votto decides to do, first of all, if the bases are loaded, they don't want to walk him because the game's over or the game's tied, whatever whatever the score is. Uh, so they're going to give him a, a decent pitch. Will they throw one down the gut? No, they won't. Uh, so depending on what the score is, uh, Joey Votto will do the right thing. He, he's a great hitter. He's not a good hitter. He's a great hitter. And I, I think if Joey Votto wanted to hit 400, he could. He has that kind of bat control. The, the way he's choking up now, you know, it's it's amazing how similar his body type is to Pete Rose. You, you don't think so, but when you look closely, Joey Votto's got big thighs, he's got big arms, and that's what Pete was. He, he was a strong guy, and everybody thinks Pete Rose is a little guy. Go stand next to Pete Rose. He looks like a looks like a linebacker, and he was always strong. And the only difference between the two is Joey Votto is taller, but he's 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 morphing into that that very powerfully built uh, contact hitter who can also hit the ball 450 feet. That's why he's such an amazing, amazing hitter that if you drill one down the middle of the plate for him, he'll hit it as far as anybody in baseball. But I've seen him go up there with two strikes. He'll he'll get behind in the count, say 0-2. He'll foul off seven or eight pitches and just drive the ball up the middle. Time and time and time again for a base hit. He takes himself from a 0-2 position, which is obviously a pitcher's count. He'll he'll work it till he turns it around and just just stick the bat out and drive the ball to the middle for a base hit. Doesn't look like much, but he just turned it out into a hit. And that's the sign of a great hitter. And again, I was looking at the stats over the winter. I don't have them in front of me here. But he has a chance to, to hit more home runs, drive in more runs, have a higher batting average, on-base percentage, more doubles than any Red in history. And this, this franchise started in 1869. So people who complain about Joey Votto are just, I, I, it, it's, it's laughable. How, how close is he marked being a Hall of Fame oh, caliber? I, I think he's there. I mean, unless there is a, a huge diminution in his performance over the next five or six or ten years. Uh, he's definitely on track for Hall of Fame statistics. And, you know, th- there aren't many guys in playing Major League Baseball today that have a career 300 batting average. There just aren't many. And there aren't many guys who have a, four, a 475 on base percentage. His on base percentage is one of the top three in history. Now, can he keep that up and, you know, into his late 30s and maybe even early 40s? I don't know. Can he hit three, get 3,000 hits? Uh, I don't know if he can or not. Maybe not. But that shouldn't be a criteria for his Hall of Fame credentials because he's giving up so many bats by the, the number of uh, base on balls he gets. So, you know, you know the, the thing is, he, he's, he's shy as far as hits are concerned. I'm looking at his major league stats right now. He's got 1,226 coming into this year. I thought that would have been, been higher. He, he is hitting 311. His on-base percentage for his career is 423. He's eight home runs shy of 200 in his career, and he's driven in 633 runs. Yeah, he'll probably hit close to 400 home runs. Uh, he, I think he'll surpass, I, I guess, uh, Johnny Bench has the RBI total for the Reds, or, or Perez does. I forget who does. But, uh, he'll, he'll probably catch them. And so, in his batting average is is probably going to be higher than anybody else's in history, and he's got so many things going for him. And I, he's in great shape, by the way. So I think he's the kind of guy that can play into his early forties. And if he does, if you give him another uh, nine to ten years of statistics, uh, he, he's going to do very well. But again, look how many base on balls he has in his career. And that's that's takes away from his hits because it doesn't mean he's not on base. You know the old saying, "A hits a good a walk is as good a hit." It's true. So he's he's just not getting the base hits because the pitchers won't pitch to him. 
Well, Mark, as we continue on in, on tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, I want to talk about three particular players this week on each team, and let's start out with the Indians. And the, the first one that I want to bring up is a rookie that is coming up with the Indians this year, and he's battling for that center field position right now with Rajay Davis, and that's Tyler Naquin. And Naquin has been doing just an outstanding job for the Indians here in the first part of training camp. He's hitting 417 in 10 games, 24 at-bats, Mark. He's got 10 hits. He's got two triples, two doubles, driven in a run. He's walked one time, stolen a base, but he's struck out six times. If that's the one disadvantage that he's got right now is that he's got a 6-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. But I think the, the more that he gets up to the plate, he'll probably reduce that. But his defense in center field has been outstanding. I'm looking forward to getting a chance to see this kid play more and more and maybe for him to win the outright at center fielder's job. We were talking earlier about Kluber's statistics, and nothing is more misleading for a player, now I'm talking about offensively, than spring training statistics, good and bad. Guy could hit 450 in spring training and, and start off the season 0 for 20. And the opposite happens just as frequently. A guy has a terrible spring, ends up, you know, hitting 315. But what you can't discount is his ability to play defense. That is a given. You have some, you know, you have good hands and you have good speed or, and good jump on the ball, or you don't. And that's obvious. So I wouldn't get too excited about his offense, but I would certainly take into account his defense. Well, and he's doing an outstanding job defensively. The second one I want to talk about is Giovanni Urshela. Now, let's take into consideration now his spring's training stats because Urshela, who's battling it out with Juan Uribe for that spot at third base, he's leading the Indians right now in home runs, Mark. He's got three of them. He's driven home nine runs, batting three forty-eight, and he's playing excellent defense at third base, too. Same type of stats that... Uh, he put up last year defensively, although he's showing a little more pop in the bat here in spring training, so he's putting up a good fight to try to get that third base spot back. Well, you know, it's funny. His name came up in a trade with the Reds for Jay Bruce, uh, and that deal never happened. And I remember asking you about it during the winter, and you said, no mas. You wanted nothing to do with that trade. No. But the, the Reds, some either... Urshela was offered to the Reds, or the Reds had offered Bruce for him. I don't, I don't know the details, but I know reading. I remember reading about that potential trade, which never came to fruition. I would not want to give up Urshela at all right now. That's why I didn't want them to go out and get Juan Uribe. I just felt like that was something that was going to, you know, like I always say, ruin his confidence after having a good season a year ago. The third person I want to talk about is one of the Indians' free agent signees over the winter, and that's Mike Napoli. You know, I've watched Napoli play now for years, and last year he had that injury-riddled season. Well, for the Indians right now in spring training, he's hit two homers, driven home seven runs. And, Mark, I saw Seattle the other day on Friday when they played the shift against the Indians where they put the three men to the left of second base on the infield, and he was in mid-season form, Mark, drove the ball right through where the second baseman should have been on the right side of the infield into right field and drove home two runs with runners at second and third. So I think Napoli, even though I really wasn't that crazy about the Indians getting him, although I, I'm more happy with him than I am Rajay Davis, I think Napoli might be, I, I could be convinced that I was wrong on that, he could be a great addition to this ball club. Yeah, I wish the Reds had gotten him. He, he's a proven hitter. He's a tough out. Uh, he knows what he's doing, and I, I think he's a, I think he's a good pickup for you guys. You know, the problem with with him is he's pretty much got to stay in the American League or go someplace in the National League where he can play first base because he has moved Santana off first base for the Indians, and that's where Napoli is going to play. Santana is going to be the DH. And I'll tell you what, Mark. Santana's got a problem because they have moved him in three consecutive years from catcher to third base, from third base to first base, from first base, not a DH. He's got no place else to go. He's got to figure out what he is and how he's going to hit. And I think this is a key year for Carlos Santana. He's got to figure out 
where he's at in his career. You know, I would have, I would have bet a lot of money when I first saw him come up his first two years with his bat speed and his power and his all round athletic ability with, that it seemed to have athletic ability that he would have been a superstar by now in this league. And, uh, he, he's just not, he's not even close to that. You're right. Uh, he, to me, he's in the same position as Jay Bruce. Uh, Jay Bruce, uh, he's had two horrible years. And what do you do in Major League Baseball when you're not even 30 years old yet? And uh, you, you've had back-to-back, in some cases, three consecutive poor years. Uh, and you got a huge contract. These guys face their careers being over before they're 30. Well, see, what Santana's problem has been is his swing has just gotten way too long. When he first came up, you're right, he did have a quick swing. But now his swing has gotten so long that when he starts his swing, he can't stop it anymore. And he is very, very susceptible to the splitter. He's susceptible to a low inside curveball. He's just susceptible to anything about knee, knee high or below. And when he goes for it, he just cannot stop that swing. Well, Major League pitchers, they will figure you out. It may take a year, maybe take two years. But if you don't adjust to their adjustment, uh, that's a ticket to AAA. And, or being traded or losing your, your position in the starting lineup. N- nothing good happens from that. And that's why I admire a guy like Votto because he adjusts to the adjustment. And he's done that his entire career. And now it's to the point that pitchers say, well, the hell with it. I can't get him out, so I'll walk him. And other players like, like Jay Bruce, you know, Jay Bruce, if he, if he would have bunted for 10 or 15 base hits last year, that raises his batting average about 25 points. And that is just insane not to do that. It, it, it makes them, it makes them get out of the shift. If, you know, if you, if you keep bunting, and you keep getting on base, they're going to say, okay, you win. We'll, we'll, we'll take the shift off. So it opens up the field for you again. And uh, last week, I, was, I forget what game they played last week, but both Votto and Bruce bunted for base hits. So I hope that's a sign of things to come because they, they could – I mean, if Votto starts bunting on some of these pitches, they'll, this guy could hit 400. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. And then they'll criticize him for bunting too much. Yeah, but again, depending on the situation, you, you don't want to bunt with a runner on third base or run, you know, two but, two men out, nobody on base, and they're they're putting a shift on. You want to get an inning started? Yeah, drop a bunt. You know, and just it's an it's they're giving you a base hit, or just hit it to the left side. And Jay Bruce just was so bullheaded he didn't do that for two years. Hopefully. Uh, maybe somebody's got into his head and said, hey, Jay, uh, you might want to try this to stay in the league. Well, let's take a look at the three ball players that I want to bring up tonight for the Cincinnati Reds. And the first one is the guy who's going to take over at third base for Todd Frazier, and that's Eugenio Suarez. He's been doing well in, in training camp, Mark. He's hitting three eighty one this year, a home run, three RBIs. How's his defense been? It's been spectacular, actually. He made a couple of plays that, that Frazier would not have been able to make. You know, Frazier was uh, a C, you know, maybe C-plus defensive player. I, I think the Reds have really improved at third base. And I think Suarez, he has a chance to hit 30 home runs. He had 19 last year. But I, I've been so surprised by his, his physical makeup. Man, the, the guy hit the weight room. And he's a he's a strong young man, and uh, I think he can hit 25, 30 home runs, drive in 80, eight, maybe 90 runs, and, and he's going to have a chance to do that. So I think he is a, an upgraded third, and uh, I think the Reds defensively and offensively could have a better performer at third base this year than they had last year. All right, another person I want to bring up is Jose Peraza. Peraza, the 21-year-old that they got in a trade over the winter, 400 batting average so far. You talked about him earlier. He's got a home run this year, one RBI. He's normally a second baseman, Mark, but with Phillips there at second, they've got to find a spot for him, and you're thinking it's in center field. Well, he started in center field today, and I don't know what he did today, but uh, having his bat 
as opposed to Billy Hamilton at the top of the lineup, you might be giving away a step in speed. Peraza's fast, and he's played center field before. Uh, I think he's a much better baseball player right now than Billy Hamilton. I, there's just no question about that. He's a better baseball player. Now, is Billy Hamilton faster? Yeah. Is he better defensively? Yeah, maybe 10%, 15%. Uh, but I'd much rather have a guy like Peraza who can who can hit 300. This guy's a good hitter, and he, he reminds me of Paul Molitor. Um, you know that he, he's strong. He he's hits from the right side. He, he's he's got great speed. He makes contact, and I think he makes the Reds better. So that's two positions, third base and center field, that I think the Reds have upgraded this year. Well, then the third person that I want to bring up is going to be probably their left fielder, from what I can tell, and that's Scott Shebler. You talked about him last week. In spring training so far, he's hitting 304, two homers, five RBIs, big right-handed hitter, Mark, came to the came to the Reds from the Dodgers. He was their 26th round pick, 802nd overall, but he's done some pretty good job, a pretty good job for the Reds in spring training. Well, he, actually, Dave, he's a left-handed hitter. Okay. And he has got some massive, he's got Adam Dunn type power. I mean, this guy can, in batting practice, they were saying he's, he puts on a show every, every time he had BP. He can really launch the ball. Now, will he make contact? Who, who knows? He, he did strike out, not at an alarming rate, but at a rate that you would expect from a power hitting uh, player. But they said he's going to cut down on that. He shortened his swing. He's got good power to left field, which I like to see. I know he had at least one home run to left field, but I've seen him hit three or four doubles to left field, too, or three or four base hits. So he looks like he's got an idea at the plate. And again, if you look at improvement over last year, uh, he, he's going to be an upgrade in left field. And uh, I just think that the, the Reds have made some changes. And, and the other position it should be an upgrade is catcher, if Devin Masarocco comes back. So that's why my... Um, Optimism is probably more than it should be, and I I know what's going to happen. You're going to say, Mark, remember back in spring training when you said the Reds were going to play 500? Boy, are you dumb. Well, right now, uh, I, I think the Reds have upgraded it. I think I can statistically uh, uh, defend that, and I'll even go one step further. I think with if Zach Kozart comes back, they're going to be much better defensively than they were last year where Suarez, I think, made 19 errors last year at short. Uh, Zach Kozart will not make 19 errors at shortstop this year. You know, for the last two or three years, the Reds' staple has been their defense. Do you think this team could be possibly better defensively than they were the two or three years ago? Well, you know, it's interesting. Shebler actually played center field. So him moving to left would indicate to me that left field is going to be much, much better defensively than it was last year. You might lose a little defensively in center field if you put Peraza out there over Billy Hamilton. Uh, Jay Bruce will be in right field. Joy Votto, Brandon Phillips, same positions. Upgrade at short and third. So, yeah, I think the Reds could be better defensively because you're right. that, that They led the league in, in defense last year in last place. Imagine if their defense had been bad. Well, let's take a look at the injury front. First of all, Michael Brantley actually got back to the Indians a couple of days ago and is swinging swinging now uh, with the ball on a tee, so that's good news. He's probably still not going to be available for April 4th, the opener against the Red Sox, but he may be coming back a lot sooner than that May 1st date that they were thinking of when he originally underwent surgery, and that'll be a welcome sight to get Brantley back into the the lineup for the Indians. But you just brought up Zach Cozart. Of course, he had the ACL injury a year ago, and that was a gruesome injury. How's he doing this year? Well, of course, they're going to say he's doing great. He played short, uh, I think, Sunday for the first time, and uh, he actually hit a home run yesterday. Uh, I, I don't think he'll hurt the Reds offensively. If you can get 250 out of him, uh, hit 10, 12 home runs out of shortstop, that's pretty good production for a shortstop. The question's going to be, Dave, is he going to be able to, to have the mobility? And he had very good mobility. He's got a strong arm. But, you know, going into the hole and planting and throwing, that is going to be where he is tested. And right now, I don't see the Reds have a have a backup at short that is major league caliber. I, I don't know who else they bring in. 
Mark, a couple other players I want to talk about with the Reds. You know, Jay Bruce spent most of the winter on the trading block, and he probably still is on the trading block. Is the <laughs> development of Adam Duvall changing the Reds' minds any more as to how they want to get rid of Jay Bruce as far as what they will take back for him? I think Duvall's, you know, his success is still in the future here. He's not demonstrated any consistency. He strikes out a lot. He's got enormous power. And I, I think defensively, he dropped a fly ball the other day, which is not indicative that he's a bad defensive player, but it's indicative of a question mark. So I don't think that they're going to spin away Jay Bruce for nothing and hope that, that Duvall can step into that role in right field because I don't think he can. Now, Schlebler might be able to move to right field and replace Jay Bruce, and then you put Duvall in left field. But if the Reds, if it was me, uh, I would keep Jay Bruce. Uh, he has no value right now. And if he has a good first half and the Reds are still, you know, 12 games be behind at the All-Star break, but Jay Bruce has hit 280 with 15 home runs, all of a sudden now he's got some value back. Right now he, he doesn't have any value. So you think they'll wait until the the uh, trading deadline before they decide to get rid of him or keep him? Unless he goes on a on a tangent here in spring training and people say, oh, he he's figured it out, you know, his swing is better, he's lost weight, whatever their criteria is. Uh, yeah, I think the Reds will keep him because they can't get much for him right now. All, all they're going to do is get salary relief, and so unless something crazy happens, I think he'd be on the roster. For the first, for April, May, and June, and then maybe they trade him at the, at the deadline. You know, when you, you look at the Indians' bullpen, Mark, and I want to look at the two bullpens right now uh, as we wind down tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Uh, I want to talk about the bullpen as far as the, with the Indians, they've got their closer set. They've also got their setup man set with, with Brian Shaw. They've got their seventh inning guy set, which is probably going to be Zach McAllister. And then they've got two left-handers that they're going to be be working around. If the Reds think that J.J. Hoover cannot handle the closer's role, then who do they turn to? Well, they were going to turn to, to Lorenzen. <laughs> and uh, that now is up in the air. So you might have Finnegan out there. Uh, he did. He was in the Kansas City bullpen and actually pitched in the World Series and the College World Series the same year. Pretty interesting. Uh, I, I don't know what you do if, if both those guys are either down and injured or ineffective. You don't have a closer that could come in and actually, it, it would have to be a Jumbo Elliott. I mean, he's the only other guy you could go to. Uh, the Reds just don't have that, that guy. But as an aside, did you see the, the outing that uh, Chapman had the other day? No, I haven't been keeping an eye out on him. Yeah, he, he got hammered. And uh, maybe the speculation was he's not really in shape and, or focused because, you know, he, he has a 30-game suspension, which would have, you know, been for the Reds, they wouldn't have had him anyway this year uh, until maybe mid-May. So, you know, by the time he gets back in shape and, and you know, comes into the bullpen, he'd miss 30 games, not just 30 days, but 30 games, and that, that would take you into May. So from that perspective, the Reds aren't going to lose much. But uh, if if Hoover and Lorenzen are both down, either by injury or ineffectiveness, uh, again, this team is going to be in deep trouble. Are you surprised that Major League Baseball came down on Chapman like they did? No, not really. I mean, how stupid do you have to be to shoot a gun into your garage eight times and, you know, throw around your girlfriend? These guys... Sometimes, you know, the IQs that apparently exist in these brains, it's just, it's mind-boggling. How stupid can you be to throw away possibly your career? What if he would have killed somebody? His career is over, and, and somebody's dead, or they're injured. I mean, it's, you wonder, again, is it because they have too much money too soon? They're not educated. Uh, they don't have good guidance from their from their uh, agents or their managers, who knows? Maybe it's all the above, but uh, it's it just ins it's insane that you would put everybody at risk, including yourself, with that kind of behavior. Mark, maybe he learned it from 
going to the Johnny Manziel School of Intelligence. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, uh, we're getting into football here. This isn't. <laughs> There's nothing funny about Johnny Manziel. <laughs> no, but Johnny Manziel. It's interesting. Johnny Manziel isn't stupid. You can't be a professional quarterback and be stupid. You can't be a college quarterback and be stupid. So, intellectually, he probably has the horsepower. I don't know about Chapman. Uh, maybe he is a smart guy. I don't know. He just did something really stupid. But Manziel, uh, again, just what I said about these athletes, they, they get so much money so quick that they think they're, they're bulletproof or, you know, there's no kryptonite out there, but there is. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they find out sooner or later that, uh, being stupid, uh, is not offset by having a lot of money. Mark, speaking of stupid, <laughs> we've talked about that a lot tonight, and I want to go back to the Cleveland media. There is a, a gentleman that works a Saturday morning show uh, on Cleveland. I'm not going to give him the time of day and the publicity that he may want to deserve uh, as far as what he was talking about on Saturday, and has actually for the last couple of Saturdays. But he's talking about how he thinks that spring training is too long for Major League Baseball players. He thinks they should just come out, go a couple of weeks, and start the regular season. I I know what your thoughts are going to be, but go ahead and expound on that. Well, it depends. I mean, you get a guy like Cabrera from Detroit, he can probably get out of bed on December 19th and go out and hit 350. Uh, You know, yeah, for him, a couple weeks, you give him uh, 30, 40 at-bats, and he's ready to go. But how about a guy like Shebler or Peraza? You cannot determine their value to the team unless you see them over an extended period of time. And that's why, in many cases, even though spring training opened, uh, I think, what, February 19th this year for, for everyday players, those guys don't play the first couple of weeks anyway. So, you know, they're, they're, you're not going to have their A team out there until the last couple of weeks, maybe starting uh, the end of March, the last 10 games, you'll get your regulars out there. But in in essence, those guys, the Vados of the world, the Brandon Phillips of the world, they do have a two- or three-week spring training. They just happen to spend five or six weeks in Florida on vacation. That's, that's what happens. So I see the need for a long spring training for younger players. Well, how about the pitchers? Well, the pitchers have to have a long spring training. You can't go out there and throw six or seven innings after two starts in spring training. So you have to stretch the arms out. The only other way you could do that is have these guys start throwing in January under no guidance or no control, and that's stupid. So, you know, I don't know what his objection is to a long spring training. Why does he care? What's what's the point? Is he going to feel better about it or think they're going to have a better performance? Or what's what's his argument? Because I can justify five or six reasons why a long spring training for young players and, and guys like Kozark coming back from an injury. you you got to give them some time to see if, if they're back or not. He just feels that it's a waste of time. They could save money. Uh, nobody goes out to see the spring training games anyway. Uh, basically, I think he was just trying to come up with a reason to, to have fans call in. But one of the most crazy things that I heard him say was, you know, let's go back to the 40s and 50s when they had no spring training at all. Uh, now talk about you're right talk about stupid is that is this guy's argument that he's worried about the money that the indians pay in spring training is that is that his concern he's looking after their economic interests here uh that it makes no sense and the guys who run baseball organizations they're not dumb people unlike this guy so if they want to have a six-week spring training uh, that's up to them. If they want to have a five-week spring training, they can. I think the Dodgers started later this year than, than anybody else, but <clears throat> who cares? I mean, I don't think it's an issue. It's up to the 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 owners of the teams and the managers, the general managers, to determine whether spring training is five, four, or six weeks. I, I don't think it's, you know, again, it's a case of what we we have to listen to in the Cleveland media up here. Now, I think Reds fans are actually blessed down south by having guys the caliber of Mo Egger and Lance McAllister that love to talk about baseball, live to talk about baseball, and enjoy talking baseball instead of up here where they just loathe it. 
You know, Lance McAllister, I've been around the country a long time listening to sports shows as I would drive or, or live somewhere else. He is really good, and, and he's prepared. And those of us who are in the business a little bit, uh, you respect somebody who is that focused on their job, and they do it well. There's, there's very few questions you bring up that he can't answer. Uh, and he, I, I respect a guy like that. And even if I disagree with him on, on some issues, I, I give it I give it pause because I do respect his preparation, his knowledge of the sport, and the way he handles the fans and the way he handles interviews. Uh, I, I think he's a, he's a very hot commodity. I'm surprised that he has not uh, you know moved on to ESPN or, or, or Baseball Tonight or something. Yeah, you because know, I think he's really good. Boy, I hope he never goes to ESPN. I mean, there there are certain things about ESPN that I like, but a majority of the things about ESPN I just do not like. And and I think ESPN is one of the problems that we have in sports today. Well, I don't disagree with that, honestly. I, I think it, it went from – I used to be a huge fan of ESPN, and then I, I started watching Fox Sports, and they seem to have a, a different take on it. But it, it's it's – so institutional uh, with ESPN, and uh, it's more performance than it is information, and that's what I don't like. Well, Mark, the Indians this week, they've got the Angels, the Athletics, and the Cubs coming up. The Reds, as far as what they're doing, they've got the Royals, the D-backs. They're going to play the Indians coming up later on this week, the A's and the Brewers. So as we head into, really, this is the middle week of the exhibition baseball season, and then you've got two more weeks, and the regular season will start. So when you're transitioning from the early part of spring training to the latter part of spring training, what are these players starting to do, the pitchers and the hitters? Well, the pitchers are now going to be going four, five, six innings. They're going to stretch it out a little bit, and if they have a a low pitch count, they might get up to five innings this week. Uh, If they have a high pitch count, they might stop at four. Uh, I think Reed pitched uh, three innings the other day because he threw a few a few more pitches than they anticipated, but uh, he was outstanding, by the way. But the hitters the hitters are are starting to to zone in now, and you're going to see the the young pitchers uh, facing the reality of a professional baseball hitter, <laughs> and as these hitters zone in, uh, it's hard to get them out. And it's funny, you mentioned some ERAs, and those guys you mentioned are established pitchers, but young pitchers with a 0.00 ERA the first three weeks of spring training, watch what happens the last three weeks because the hitters start getting serious, and that's when you find out who's got the goods and who doesn't. Yeah, the intensity level starts to increase, doesn't it, over the next couple of weeks? It does, and uh, again, the hitters, it's all timing. And it takes you three weeks, four weeks to get your timing in the batting cages, uh, see breaking balls, but they start zoning in uh, that last two weeks. And uh, it's interesting how the, the, the runs go up, the run count will go up the last three or four innings, or three or four weeks, or I'm sorry, uh, say three or four or five games of, of spring training uh, because the hitters are, are catching up. And how much does winning? How much does that take priority over the next couple of weeks? Zip. Uh, it really doesn't. It doesn't matter. Uh, begin again because so many things can happen in a spring training game. That let's say you have your your, your pitcher who's going six innings, um, and he, he's throwing a two hit shutout. Well, in the regular season you keep him in there. In spring training you take him out, and you bring in a pitcher who you know is either going to going to be cut or already cut, and you don't care. You just don't care what happens. So um, win-loss records in spring training mean absolutely nothing. Well, and don't forget our preview show, our, our prediction show, is going to be coming up on March 28th. So don't forget that, Mark. Get your predictions ready. Just two weeks. David, I've already got it down, and I'm <laughs> ready to take you on again and uh, just grind you into dust. Well, that, that, that sounds like a, a pipe dream, Mark, but we'll – We'll hit that when it comes about, okay? All right. All right. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a good one. That's going to do it for our Ohio Baseball Weekly Show this week. Don't forget next week to join us again at 9 o'clock here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. For Mark Donahue, I am Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight. Until next Friday or next Monday night, good night, everybody.
The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. 